Hey everyone, grace and peace to you all from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is I have no idea when this podcast is going to be released, so I can't tell you the actual date of today, um, but I can say I'm here with two of my really good friends, uh, peers, and uh, two pastors I deeply respect and look up to, um, John Mark Comer from Portland and John Tyson from New York City, New York. New one of, New one York. of these pastors has a much cooler accent than the other. Yeah. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, last week we talked about on our podcast, um, what the heck is the church in COVID? Because it's so, it's become um, very uh, online oriented, uh, people popping into different churches all over the nation. I go to this church now, all that stuff. Um, but today we wanted to talk about how you actually leave a church and how do you leave a church well. And uh, a few weeks ago, John Mark and I were together in Portland at an Abbey, and we were just talking about how uh, if we were to start a membership course or like a welcome to church class right now, we'd probably start with how you leave a church hmm. because we're really good at telling people how to get involved in our church and how to get uh, in community, but we never teach people how to leave. And uh, because we live in transient cities, chances are people will leave our church. So I kind of got an idea of like, let's do a podcast where we just kind of have a conversation of how in the world do you leave a church well? But just to clarify, this is not because you want people to leave Reality San Francisco. Yeah, (laughs) I don't. But if you do, for all sorts of reasons. If they had to. If they had to leave, how do you leave well? That's the question. So I think I'll just open it up to general initial thoughts. Well, I mean, it depends on like why you're leaving. Are you leaving because of a job transfer or because of COVID you decided to relocate back to Texas or whatever? Or are you leaving because God's called you out to be a part of a new church plant and you're being sent with blessing? Or are you leaving because of a disagreement? And if so, is that disagreement legitimate or illegitimate? You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Those are very different kind of iterations of the conversation. I agree. Circumstances are very, very different than a conviction that you should leave. You know that there's something fundamentally wrong with this congregation that I cannot, I can no longer participate in. I, I think the worst reason to leave a church, which is maybe what you're getting to or want to hit, is just basically preference. I don't right. like it anymore. I want to go somewhere else I like. And is which is often spiritualized by like the God. cliche, "I'm not being fed here anymore," which I don't even know what that actually means. Yeah. I think it just means I don't like this anymore. Yeah, or it's spiritualized by like I prayed and God, I felt. God, give me peace about leaving this church. Yeah. And we were chatting about that, like how, because I think this applies to, you know, all three of those, you know, categories for leaving, but just how decision-making is done anymore. Like people don't have a theology of communal discernment and like, you know what I mean? Which is weird once you, we were were talking about this, how, how often people will just be like, I prayed and I talked to my spouse. Yeah. And that's how they make major decisions, like to leave a church or to go to another city or to take another job. And I'm like, wait, what? You just prayed and talked to your spouse? Like, where's the like multiple months or weeks and season of communal discernment and praying and fasting and getting other people's input and pushback and critique and love? And, you know, so I think once you have a theology of decisions are one of the main things that community is for, we make decisions together as a community um, it's a it's a real paradigm shift. I think there's I've got a great story of someone who did this right. This false discernment, which is called gossip and criticism, 
which is we don't like it. We'll find people who don't like it. We'll justify our opinion. Right. With the echo chamber. Yeah. But the other one that was really good. So I I had a friend who was a part of our church planting core, wonderful, godly guy. And he he thought he was, uh, I don't know if he thought he was a lifer. He was a long-termer for sure. And he ended up getting a job opportunity. He turned down a ton of jobs, very successful. He had an opportunity to go over to Asia to take a job. And he realized that this would change the dynamics of his marriage, uh, his vocation, his faith, his spirituality. So, yeah, he sought God. They prayed and fasted. And we did, t- we did a series of discernment circles where he invited together a group of godly friends, did it for his wife, did it for him, did it as a couple. And you were only allowed to ask questions of him. Mm-hmm. and he said I just submit myself to the wisdom of this group speaking of anything and we talked about what implications would this have on your wife's spirituality mm. what would this and we talked through everything and he just it was one of the most beautiful compelling I think we got it from yeah. the Mennonites or whatever but it's the Quakers yeah Quakers, the Quakers yeah. yeah we've done it for you before Dave yeah, yeah we've done and it, it was so beautiful and when he he ended up taking that job and leaving and and the impact of it was actually very traumatic on me personally. I mean, you yeah. know, we were doing such close life together that they bought a vacation home behind us, like wow. we were actual neighbors. Yeah. Um, but it was, we all came to the end of it. We're like, this is your destiny. Is God has right. literally opened a door for you. Yep. Nobody else. There's like three people on earth that meet the qualifications of this job. Yeah. yeah. And Jesus is sending you. We blessed them, sent them. That was, I thought, I wish this could be a case study about how people make whole yes. life decisions thinking through the implications. Yeah. We just had one recently too, right before COVID hit. There was a guy, incredible family, like one of those rare gifts, you know, large family living right in the urban core, strong, godly people. They'd moved up from Austin and they were just bought into our church. We were just starting to chat with him about coming on our elder team. And he had this great job opportunity, but he had to move back to Texas. And they were like bought in, we're in Portland. They were such a gift to our church. Mm. And so with his community, he sat down and he told his community leader what they were processing. And they decided to do something like that, but not tell people that they were praying about leaving and just do like, let's wait and listen to the spirit. What would the spirit speak over this family? Mm. And multiple people in the community had parallel words about God's calling you out. God has something new for wow. you. There's a move, da, 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 da. And they didn't even know that he had this opportunity. And it was this like really p- powerful prophetic wow. moment that enabled them to make a really hard decision that in some ways was against what they wanted with just this strong sense of confidence that God's in this. And they were sent by mm. their community. Yeah. There's a difference between leaving and being sent. Right. And I think people think it, I don't think people think this through. I'm leaving, I'm done. But they don't understand. Oftentimes, I, I find pastors do call and check that the myth is I'm autonomous so I can leave and restart my life without any spiritual consequence elsewhere. Yeah. Pastors often check and talk to, with one another. Yes. And uh, yeah. in, the, in the old Baptist world, maybe other denominations too, you had to get a letter of reference from your previous That's church. Right. So I've been pastoring in New York for 15 years and only on one occasion in 15 years has somebody said, I'd like to give you my letter of commendation from my previous wow. church. Yeah, I've One been, person, I'm 17 years. years in, nothing. 17 plus, nothing. Never had that happen. They wanted me to know we're in good standing. There's no wow. scandal. We are just literally moving from one place to another. I feel like that is Gosh, can you imagine? So compelling. I, I've been wanting to do that for years. Like we, same thing with San Francisco pastors. Whenever oh, no. someone leaves, in San Francisco, I'm like, where people move in and out constantly, that'd be like a part-time job. Yeah, but. it would be part-time job. <laughs> but when someone moves from another church or vice versa, I usually call that pastor and say, 
this person has been called to your church and I want to say that um, everything is legit. I yes. fully commend them to you. Um, and I desire the same thing. Because um, I don't want to sound cynical at all, but like whenever somebody comes to our church, I'm always suspicious. Yeah. Unless if they came from another city or whatever. And then especially if they start to badmouth the church they came from, I'm most of the time friends with the pastor at some level. Yeah, and you're like, that'll be me in two years. And I'm like, yeah, yeah if, you're, if you're doing that about him, I'm, yeah, I'm just the newest iteration and you'll be gone in two years. Okay, here's the insight that so I, I think guard my I, want, against you. I want people to hear, because people from our church listen, but outside our church as well. Not only do pastors know each other and talk, not gossip, but talk. We, we talk. The second thing is when you come to our church and badmouth another church and like this is the church this church is amazing we think this is just your n- next fling yeah and you'll hun- be gone your honeymoon in two years or one yeah. year yeah it's never a good thing it's never yes. like oh thank you i feel so good that you like our church more than that church oh yeah, this is not a competition always, we're yeah. just trying to care for you and exactly. care for each other and stay in this together we never think of that like oh cool we're the cool thing we're like oh you'll like us for the next four years because that's then, just social Darwinism. Even if you are the cool church in town or the church plant that's growing or whatever, your day will come. Yeah. At some point, you're going to, you know, totally. get a few extra love handle pounds on you. You won't be the thing anymore. <laughs> COVID-15. <laughs> um, okay. Well, so what I'm hearing is the importance of communal decision making, which yes. I think is a... That's the number one thing I would say. I agree. I think that sometimes is not in the paradigm of people who are leaving. They just think, yeah, I talk to God and I talk to my spouse and it's all good. And, and by communal decision it, making, we don't mean find the people that you know or into it will already agree with you and let them become your echo chamber for yeah. whatever. We mean really like submit and surrender, like view it not as your decision, but as a community's decision. Yeah. Yeah. Like similarly, a few years ago, like uh, my wife and I are really discerning um, whether we should stay at reality or leave and yeah, this was during a hard time and everything in me wanted to leave and submitted it to a community <laughs> we basically said no you can't leave I was like, <laughs> you're called here yeah. you're made for this and the only way out is through that was hard it was really yeah. really really hard i re- we're actually in the room right now where that conversation had that's right it was on the couch right over there that's right and um that's what i think the more that people could be submitted to a community of people that they trust and love and journey with to make huge decisions instead of just them being isolated decisions. And what that was and what John, you were referring to was the Quaker clearness committee is what they call it. And basically it's pretty simple. You just get like five or 10 kind of community friends around you, older, wiser mentor, just people that you trust in a relationship with. And you basically kind of share the decision. And then in a true Quaker clearance committee, there's a long time of silence. And then all you can do is ask questions. Yeah. So why are you leaving? Yeah. Or what, you know, or how will you deal with this that will follow you? All you can do is ask. And they can be leading questions. And through asking questions, you're not trying to be passive aggressive. You're trying to help the person unearth and discover how God is God's direction over their life. I think that the, one of the larger challenges is the way at which most people move to a place. You know, so we're assuming some transients here. All three of us are, mm-hmm. are in cities. People come to a church. People come to a city for a job, and they say, for the most part, hey, I'm here to do a job. I need spiritual support for my vocation. Yeah. So they get, but the thing driving everything is the vocation. Yeah. 
And then I get in a small group of friends who help me keep my marriage together so that one or both of us can do our jobs well. And then we leave. So the church in, an, in its essence is, is primarily viewed as a tool of vocational support hmm. rather than a family, a community, a place wow. of belonging and commitment. So that's why I think people, not with um, ill intent, so I'm not wanting to create this thing like everybody yes. sucks or a consumer, not with ill intent. People have been so poorly formed and framed of what the pur- purpose of the church is yeah. that leaving it is easy because I never knew it was meant to be more than that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just there to support them along their career right. journey. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we do a survey every single year, and one of the questions is, um, if you uh, had a job offer to move out of the city, would this community uh, be a factor for you staying? And, Interesting. Um, every, last year, it was 6.66 said yes. That was it. Only 6% of our <laughs> Wait, church 6. said 6.66? And I said it was demonic. That's demonic. Wow. And so, yeah, only... At that time, it was a year and a half ago, only yeah. 6% of our church said, yeah, I'd consider this community for a reason of staying. Yes. Most people are like, no, I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't even think and about And what it. I see all the time, especially people for whom this has been their primary church experience, or they came to faith, or mm-hmm. this is where they came alive in faith, they often don't realize how hard it is to find another church where yeah. you thrive, and how many years it takes to forge relationships, yep. and how hard it is to forge relationships, often when you come in as an outsider or new to a city, and so often people will move for a job or family or to buy a house, not even think about the spirit, just figure I'll find a church when I get there. And then they get there and it's either a, a spiritual wasteland or they really struggle to connect or they're good churches, but for whatever reason, it's not a great fit. And they often really struggle in their spiritual journey. And that's yeah. not to say never move. It's to say like, if that's not a key factor in where you move, if you have agency, Man, that, that needs to be, I think, really high on the priority list. I think about um, when I, the first time I came to San Francisco, I, I remember I was so struck. Um, I think you might have been giving me a tour of the Castro, which is walking around. That's mm-hmm. when I think you were beating in the Castro, Dave. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was so struck by the fact that, like, there's a gay neighborhood. And, yeah. like, and then there's a Chinese Chinatown. Yeah. That's the thing. There's a Jewish community. And I remember talking with a Jewish guy and he said, basically, I can only really live in New York or Miami. I was like, what, what do you mean by that? He goes, well, there's an ecosystem of thriving for the Jewish people. Wow. And I just thought, there's, there's, other, there's other people in our culture today who are making entire life decisions yes. based on where, where the, the dearest is. values function. And I thought, yeah. wow. no, almost no Christians think like that. Gosh. How do I go to a place where my faith will thrive? I can yeah. contribute to the flourishing of the city, the building of the kingdom of God. It's like we are being left behind, even on a sociological level, about how we make decisions yes. and seek. And not just a God. city, but a neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. What does it do as pastors? What does it do to your soul, your mental health, uh, to deal with the transience and the and the the lack of commitment for a people uh, in your church? They're committed to. Um, your teaching or they're committed to the momentum of your church but not committed to the people what does that do to you personally like to your to your soul to your mental health it, it depends i mean it, it, it all depends on the metaphor with which you're viewing the situation you're yeah. in. so i i yeah. want to say here the new testament was written and so many of those cities and churches were transient places like yeah. all, almost all the cities names were like places of travel to the 
people went. So the issue is not can you leave, it's how you leave. Yeah. And the biggest issue is like when you leave, are you sent or do you sneak out the side door? Yeah. And uh, you know, blessing people and sending people is a totally different thing. So uh, you know, I view myself if people would say 15 years in Manhattan is a long time to be in Manhattan for anybody. And my metaphor of life is not sort of a, a uh, stable, peaceful, small, mm-hmm. nurturing environment. Agrarian kind yeah. of yeah, yeah, yeah. parochial. I, I view myself, I tell people all the time, it's like leading, I, I lead a team that leads an emergency room. People come in, the city forces spiritual crises on them, good and bad. We care for them and often they leave. Yeah. And that's the nature of the business. So in terms of mental health and framing, I've had to basically build a whole series of, of practices and a way of life and lifestyle that sustains the level of urgency and trauma. Yeah. So that's very, very different than a typical pastor. It's, it's, there are actually probably in some ways harder problems in a stable environment than the ones I deal with. So I'm not wanting to compare them in any way. But it's the framing that's very important and, and, and the practices that sustain your soul. Yeah. Because I, I do good. tend, the number one thing I have to guard my heart against is... You're only going to be here for a year, so I won't give you my heart or care. Right. And like I, I have to consciously, almost daily, ask Jesus for grace to love people who will be here for a short time. And you yeah. guys are in the two most transient cities in our nation, I would imagine. It's not a statistical fact, but I would imagine. Portland's more and more that way as cost of living mm-hmm. continues to rise, but it's it's not on par with you. you know. So for me, the transience thing is... I think I just accepted that long ago. Like I did college ministry before we planted. And you know, when you do college ministry, you know that at most you're going to have somebody for four or five years and then they're gone. And so you just view yourself, you know, almost like an aircraft carrier. You're just there to bless, serve, support and, and launch, you know? And I think urban ministry is a little bit that way. And it's not all because of consumerism or people don't make, make unthinking decisions. Some of it's just cost of living. Unless if you're rich, it's really hard to stay long-term in a city if you're middle class cities are designed for wealthy people and poor people or single and young couples if you're a middle class family it's really hard place to make a life you know so yeah yeah, i think that i i just i think i made peace with that long ago so i can just you know it's always sad when somebody that you love and care about but i don't think i grieve that i get i feel sadness dave when people leave because they're basically sucked into the world just yeah. the gravitational well of the hedonistic secular city. I'm always really sad about that. And then I feel deeply hurt when and dishonored often when people leave in some kind of an angry tirade, um, legitimate or not. I often feel, you know, hurt, betrayed, yeah. turned against, you know. It's hard when we were chatting about this where it's, the culture is so consumeristic that for some people, it's like if you literally preach one sermon they disagree with, especially if it's something about that's emotionally loaded, like, you know, racial justice or anything political. It's like one sermon and you can be done. Yeah. You know, it's like, really? Like, we put years into just pastoring you, shepherding you. We're human. We're frail. We make mistakes. We don't, we're not omniscient. But one sermon is all it takes, you know? Yeah. So that's, I don't know what percentage of the church that is, but it's a chunk. Yeah. And that, that um, yeah, that's, that doesn't feel right to me yeah yeah i've i the way that it's this journey has been harder for me i still haven't i thought i accepted it and then there's waves of yeah and a lot of that is family of origin stuff yeah. a lot of that is the way i see the church like i want people to be committed to a, a people not not a 
not even you, like a, you might want to talk about that because I really think family of origin for both leaving and for how we feel when other people leave that that's going to play a, a pretty significant role in your emotional experience of this. Yeah, I mean, for me, um, I came from a family that was really loving when I was really small, but in a lot of ways, kind of started fragmenting when I was getting into high school, um, and then my parents got divorced uh, my senior year. And as soon as I got divorced, I became a Christian and then my new family was the church. Yeah. And it was like, this is my new family now. And I even remember my dad saying, you're spending way too much time at that church. Um, and I'm like, this is, I literally thought it was my family and spent like almost five days a week in and around the church and then started in leadership. And then our church went through a church split, like mm. five or six years into me being a part of that church. Wow, and it was like so painful. I'm like, you can't do this. You it's can't like another just divorce. leave. Yeah, yeah, it was like triggering all of that. And I, you know, I've only been part of two churches my entire life. That wow. church in Bakersfield and then Reality. Now Reality was first in Carp and now we, they planted me here. But two churches. Yeah. And I just feel like you give yourself to a people, even though like it's really hard and you don't agree, you just, you, you continue and so, but some of that's my family of origin. So when people leave, I feel like you're, you can't leave the family. You yeah. literally can't leave. The, this is your family. Yeah. But people don't think that way. You know, it could be because they have a really healthy family. No, my family is my family. We're really great and tight. Uh, other yeah. people are like same five family of origin stuff. Like I don't stay committed that long to a family because right. you can't really trust anyone. Yes. Um, so so all you're constantly your guarding your heart against yeah. any kind of intimacy, any yeah. kind of vulnerability any kind of a band just to, to hedge your bets against abandonment. Yeah. So I think all that stuff plays in. I think my, my hope would be that you see your church. Uh, people will see the church as their, as their family. It's like a new family of Jesus. And of course I'm family with my family in China. I'm family with family in you know, Uruguay, wherever, wherever Christians are, they're part of the family of God, but there needs to be a local expression of that. Right. There has to be some way I live that out in a locality of people I'm deeply committed to. So when I see you leaving a church, I see that as a big deal. Like you leave a church, it's a huge yes. deal. It should take time and processing and prayer and submitting to the elders of the church that you that you that they give an account for your soul. Like I think yeah. there needs to be this. Usually I get an email at the end of this process. Typically it's like, you know, we thought about it or I'm mad or whatever, and we get an email, we're leaving. Worst um, is when you don't get an email. Yeah, you I know. Find out, like, where did they go? Where and did they like, go? Oh, yeah, they oh, left. Oh, they hate you now because you said that one thing or whatever. Wait, what? Really? I think another dynamic that I wish people understood, it's, uh, you know, when you break up with someone, go back to your teenage relationships or your <laughs> 20s or whatever, when you break up with them, like, you're done with them, you're ready to move on. Yeah. But the person who's been broken up with is like, oh, gosh, like, I wasn't done with that yet. Yeah. And you ended this. Pastors are always almost like the, the statistics would be like 99 to 1 in terms of people leave before the pastor leaves. So yeah. you're always the one right. dealing with the, oh, were we done here? Oh, oh so you're good. always being broken up with. And so people don't know that. They're just like, hey, thanks, Pastor John. This was great. We're out. And you're like, another one. Another yeah. one. Another yeah. one. I've got 15 years of another ones. And Dude, don't, so don't you think good. that most people, especially in larger churches, underestimate the importance of the role they play in the family. Right? 100%. Like, I think yes. people, you know, so it's a statistical fact, you know, that the larger a church is, 
the less loyal people are to it. And you don't need to be a PhD to figure that out. Like if there's a church of 50 people, you know, or even 150 people where most of you know each other, if you leave, everybody's going to be like, wait, where's Dave? Where's Dave and Ash? I haven't seen them in three weeks. What's going on? Are they okay? You get texts, right? If you're in a church of 500 or 5,000, you can feel like just a face, right? Mm -hmm. And so that, of course, calls into question like what? What's the optimal size for a church? Is there such a thing? Are there just strengths and weaknesses? That's a separate podcast and conversation. But I do think that especially in larger churches, people do not realize that the church isn't just for them. They are for the church and that they are woven into the fabric of it and they play a key role and their absence is felt. Yeah. Gosh, I think that that both of those things are completely true i pointed that out a little bit last week too is like if i left people like you can't leave you're the (laughs) but but you can't either like you're as important part of the body as i am but people don't think that way yeah totally yeah yeah i agree and i i I love the whole i what's funny i think of the opposite of that like we we actually can't we can't flip it around we can't flip the script we can't break up with someone Unless it's like for church discipline reasons, but we can't say, you know what? We're leaving you by you. You have to go now. Right. Like we can't do that. We're like, it's one way. It's one way. They're you sick of us, us, but we can never be sick of them. Yeah. You're like, oh. yeah, exactly. You have to go now. You're, yeah. You know, we just can't do that. All right. So let's talk about like, let's say you're in a situation. I'm thinking of one, right. One of our key leaders that was at a church for 20 years in town and left for very good reasons and just did a very good job. Some of that's where I can't tell, but um, like what would be legitimate reasons, two questions, what would be a legitimate reason to leave a church in your city and attend another one or join another one? And if so, how do you do that? The- theological conviction. Yes. Heresy. G- genuine yes. conviction. Mm-hmm. Um, that is one, that is a reason. Could you give an example and, of that? Yeah. Because yes. some people are like, you're not preaching the Bible anymore. But, but I literally just preached that by, well, you're not preaching it the way I want. Like, what is the conviction part? Um, I would say it is, if someone says, I have a theological convi- uh, conviction that women can preach, and I'm in a church that says women preaching is sinful, mm-hmm. and, you know, that, then I would say, okay, I think that is like a larger philosophical shift on how ministry should happen that has a ton of, lived out ramifications at every level of the church women right. in leadership that is probably like I, I probably need to go to an environment where this value that i believe is important can be expressed that would be a sec an important second tier issue if someone says you know i've changed my mind or the on, holy spirit may be another one yeah you because yeah if you're, if you're at a cessationist church. church and you're like i just my conviction based on the new testament and experiences like the spirit of God is mandatory. For yeah, and, and leaving in these environments doesn't mean you leave out of protest. Even this no. is still not living out of protest. It's like, hey, I've really come to this theological conviction. I've protested. I don't want to be divisive and no longer able to submit to the theological right. views of this church. Therefore, I'm going to All right, that. so this is really helpful. Um, remember Gary Bashirs, who was Dave and I's professor in seminary for a bit, has these like the four D's mm-hmm. of theological debate and it's like die for, divide for, debate for, decide for. So some issues are die for. This is like the resurrection of Jesus or the yeah. deity of Christ. Like we would literally stand before a firing squad yeah. rather than deny that Jesus has come back in the flesh from the dead. Next layer down is divide for, you know, and that would be the kind of 
secondary issues, maybe not orthodoxy per se, but like key things, the role of the Holy Spirit, maybe the role of women in leadership. Next level four is debate for, let's just argue and debate, yeah. like, you know, the role of sovereignty or whatever, like, what does that mean exactly? You know, you argue and debate and go back and forth. And then the final level is decide for, and that's like, who are the 24 elders in Revelation, yeah. you know, <laughs> or what's the end of 1 Corinthians 14 about, you know, yeah. women should keep silent in the churches. There's like seven interpretations in church history and nobody really knows. So, and his point was, we tend to push everything up yeah. to die for, divide for, when we need to push as much as is possible down to debate for, decide for. Now, not everything. Yeah. And some things that people want to make debate for, and I think particularly around human sexuality, are not. I really think yeah. they're divide for. And so that takes wisdom and discernment, again, back to, decision, to, to, to communal decision making, and not just with people around you, but with church history. And that's where we have 2,000 years yeah. of church history. Like when we talk about an ethical issue around, like, say, human sexuality, it's safe to say this is what the people of Jesus have said for two millennia. Yeah. And at that point, you're like, all right, we have to listen not just to my four friends who read this book, but like what Christians have been saying for thousands of years. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I think of those four categories. Uh, just one other little note there. Um, at the end of uh, 2 Timothy, where Paul is warning him in the last, that the last days will be terrible times. And he says, you know, people will gather around teachers yes. for their itching ears. Itching mm -hmm. ears. So you can say again, what they want to hear. In a moment, oh. you can stack up a group of scholars or teachers. You can to find push, anybody to yeah, agree with you. To push a new view. Mm -hmm. But that's very different than the great tradition which has been handed down. Yes. So, you know, I remember having a conversation with someone who was leaving over a church over issue, and he basically says, there's lots of thought on both sides, therefore I'm taking the side I want. And I was like, there's lots of thoughts on every issue in That's culture. Right. The issue is what is the great tradition we've inherited? Right. And how do you remain faithful to that? You know? That's right. Yeah, and I think um, for those, even those things, I've had people leave our church for theological issues as it pertains to sexuality. And some have left really, really well. Yes, like yes. sitting, yeah. wrestling with it, um, being a part of our community, saying, you know, I... I, I, I'm, I'm here, but I'm also like, and I love this church. This is my church. This issue is really, really hard for me. And they've you, sat with it for a long time. But do you, th do you feel a responsibility to warn them even as they leave? Yes, I have. I, res yes. I respect Always. your opinion, but I want to warn you yep. that you were stepping yeah. if, it, if it's outside the great tradition. Right. Yep, I do, I've done that. Like, I warn you, and I want you to, to know. I want you to give it a year. If you leave the church, give it a year. Are you closer to Jesus, more obedient to his will, more full of the spirit. I want you to ask yourself that honest question. Yeah. And if not, come not back. And not, am I happier? Wrong yeah, question. that's exactly right. Not if you're happier. That's important to note because I've often found whenever you've wrestled with something, any kind of ten, any kind of certainty, good or bad, will come with relief because you're free from the tension. Yeah, that's right. It's yeah. the long-term fruit. Yeah. yeah. And I've seen people at our church that at the very beginning, we didn't have women teach and so they believe that women should teach and it was a kind of a conviction of mine like i i i i, I believe that i just don't know how to get there and this these people have just stayed faithful like we believe this and we love this church and i've seen i've seen the conversation continue and moving towards like what the spirit yes. was doing in our church yes and i just i've seen that so yes. often people just going i'm i might disagree with you but i'm committed to you yes and I'm committed to this family. And people just don't even understand the yes. deep respect we have for people like that in our congregation. Like, And even if they do leave, 
leaving well. And if I was yeah. to say what leaving well means is process it with people, process it with yeah. the pastor, an elder, process it, um, live in open-handedness and in honesty, and then uh, desire to be sent. Like wait, my wait, wait. Desire I think we need to come sent. back to this though, because this is this is too important. So like, so we're saying reason number one. Can we say it just for another couple minutes on what are legitimate reasons to leave a church? This is your podcast. I'm not trying to hijack it. No, I I love it. Would you take? I just you're, you're about to go to good stuff. I feel so. Reason number one I'm hearing is theology and and ethics. When I yeah. say orthodoxy, I don't just mean like doctrine. Yeah. I mean you know ethics as well. That is either outside of the great tradition slash orthodoxy, or is a crucial secondary issue. Okay, so yeah, that, no, that you that you feel will be a constant war against your your heart and God's call in your life. We've mentioned sexuality. I think it's important to uh, to mention money, spirit of mammon, power, abuses of power. Yeah, that would be the yeah. second reason I would yeah. say. Well, I was going to go toward like um, a level of immaturity, unhealth, abuse of power, and leadership. Yeah, that yeah. Th- these are leaders that you cannot, in good conscience, surrender your yeah. your life to. The challenge with uh, the immorality piece, I think, of the Corinthians and what they would like, Paul was like <laughs> navigating with their situation. Yeah, you know, but he uses the strongest language in the New Testament of their hand the flesh over to be Satan. Yes, you know, so they were they were really wrestling with it, not just bailing on it. You know? Yeah, I think those are are. I think the power one is a very important one, but it's again a little bit harder to decipher, right? Um, because if if there was a pastor or leaders that actually had power and were abusive with it, first of all, it'd be really hard to get a meeting with them to spend time with them and be hard to get a meeting with the leadership to spend time with it. Usually those people are encased and, and that one's more open to interpretation. Yep. And it could be really emotional. You're going to really bring your family of origin, your trauma, your pain to your interpretation of their leadership. It's doing a lot of work. It's doing a lot of inner work, interior life work even before that happens. Like, yeah. what am I being triggered by? Is this person reminding me of my dad who's distant or my mom who left me or like, it's kind of aloof. Is the, is it a personality thing I can't get behind? Like it takes yeah, a lot of discernment. It's so funny. It's like, you know, so this is where personality comes in. Like for some people, don't you think Dave, you know, like there's just a constant, I mean, because we live in the kind of, you know, Marxist afterglow, it's a constant critique of power. And so people yeah. are really quick to like, you're empowered, therefore you're a suspect, therefore I need to hold you accountable, i.e. criticize you as much as possible and tear you down if I can. And then there's other people that I think will actually justify a poor leader's character in the name of their gifting or the success of the church. Yeah. That's a double edged like, sword. It's like the it. opposite yeah. of it, you know? And so I think what I, when I'm talking about character is like the, the adage, you know, as the leaders go, so goes the church. Yeah. And you know what's Scazzaro's thing that a church will never, will rarely, if ever, rise above the level of maturity of its highest level of leaders. Yeah. You know? And so that's where, like, in a dream case scenario, you don't want leaders that are perfect, but you do want, that doesn't exist, but leaders who are mature and who you want to grow and mature to become like yeah i i mean i think that's one of it like the leaders and the elders of the church you want to become like i also think that the leaders and the elders of the church are people that when you're around them they're 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 all of them are uh not just like huge personalities but all of them are living a life of godliness down yes. to the like 
the family level, the community level? Are they, yes. uh, to use, you know, language that is from my high school days, are they smoking what they're selling? Yes. You yes. know, are you doing that? Are you, you're saying that, but are they doing it? Because even it, more than perfection, and maybe even maturity is too, you're looking for integration. Yeah. You totally. know what I mean? Like they're the same person on stage and because you have to allow room. That's what I think people don't realize. Like you have to allow room for pastors to be human yeah, and frail and emotional. Like, you know what I mean? Like right now in COVID, there's so much idealistic expectation upon leaders in the church. And it's like, sometimes I just want to say, don't you realize that I'm just trying to lead a family of five through a global pandemic and we're homeschooling three kids yeah. and we have a dog and you know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm exhausted. Like, yeah. can there just be a little room for yeah, totally. the fact that I'm a human too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> and I'm emotional and I'm exhausted and I didn't get a vacation this summer and you know? Yeah. And I think that is, we, we yeah, we put people, that's one temptation is to put your leader on a pedestal where you think that they're like, they should be like God or like you should be not godly, but like God like. Right. And then the other temptation would be, um, they're, they're gifted. I let them get away with all their stuff. Yeah. They because can do the whatever church is they growing, want. Yeah. They care about the lost. It's yeah. the end justifies the means yeah. church thinking. So I, so the, I always clicked into the power thing. Cause I think the power thing could be a little evasive, a little yes. like, um, not mushy. Yeah. A little mushy is a great word. Um, but I, I think once, once you know that one of these things are in place and you are praying and considering leaving, to do this with a community of people mm. and the leaders of the church to where like my desire is blessing and to be yes. sent from I want to be sent. That's my desire. Um, because I respect the elders. I respect the leaders of this church. I want, I want to go with a blessing or at um, least with relational peace. Yeah. That would be, uh, that would be my hope. Like yeah. from a, like, if I was to, if we were to do a membership class or a welcome to reality class right now, I'd say, this is how you, here's how you'd leave. If you leave, try to leave with, with, um, being sent and being, and, and, and being like blessed from this place and something that, uh, Matt Barrios from on our staff said last week and, and leave with blessing in your wake, like yeah. leave with, mm, there's a, good. there's a blessing in your wake. Otherwise you're just going to carry that pain with you and it's going to compound in every future church experience or hurt there's no way to be a part of a church and not get hurt any more than there's a way to be a part of a family and not get hurt and i definitely those those are trigger words for me when i hear someone say my last church hurt me all i hear is you have unreconciled relationships yes yeah so it doesn't mean i want that you you will carry that's right i want to hear about how you handled that because when someone says the church hurts me, hurt me, they mean a person in a church hurt me yeah. or a group of people. Yeah, that's right. You cannot reconcile at a metal level with institutions, non-relational. Yeah. That's, it's an, that's a hard attitude, but you can reconcile with a community of people. And it could be sometimes that like it was toxic, dysfunctional, you needed to get out, it was abuse, yeah. and it's legitimate. And you need a healthy experience but, now to heal you. But often it's like, hey, someone tried to keep me accountable and I resisted it and I left. <laughs> that's and I, and exactly I, right. I just want to know. Totally. I just want to know. Yeah. And, and it's so common... And again, I don't know that I'm a very cynical person, but I almost default to assuming when people use spiritual language, like I was hurt, it was spiritually abusive or whatever. My mind goes to, oh, I bet you were in sin and somebody called you out and you didn't want to listen. And so now you're here. And sometimes it's not true, but I, I don't know what the percentage is. 70% of the time. I yeah. mean, a lot of the time it's yeah. that. People forget. And I think this is a very important principle for all of life. People forget 
that they're carrying their whole selves with them everywhere. Yeah. And people go to New York and they think they can reinvent their lives and they just bring their old stuff with yeah. them. And it's the okay. same thing church to church. It's that, you know, it's that, it's the book, The Body Keeps the Score, if you've yeah. read that. You know, like Dave and we're down at this house that we go to once a year in Carmel. And when Dave and I got here, we drove in together a couple of days ago. We oh, there's like a front gate and there's this path you kind of walk down toward the house. And the, literally, I've, I've had just the worst season of my life. And I walked through this gate and I instantly just felt my, my body just calmed, yeah. relaxed, and I felt like this uptick of happiness come yeah. through my body. And I was like, what is that? It's because my body has a memory of this. I wasn't thinking about it. Yeah. There was no conscious thought. I wasn't like choosing to be happy in my mind. My body just carries inside of it memories of this place because we come here every year. This is the place where I'm peaceful and happy. Yeah. And, you know, what happens when the church, your body's memory of church becomes one of pain, woundedness, division, like you're going to carry that in your body into every other church you go into. That has to get healed and made right, or you will just carry that and it will compound. And actually, you know, I read that Rollheiser line this morning, what you don't transform, you transmit. That's right. And his thing about how like you have to forgive, you know, life. Mm Man, what you don't transform, you transmit. If you carry this in your body and it's not transformed, you will just spread it to the new community that you come to I join. wish people viewed in a similar way. I wish they viewed conflict as an opportunity to grow and deepen the That's most right. important thing, which is love and relationship, rather than just something to flee out of. That's right. Yeah. So if someone's like, oh, church sucks right now. It's really hard. My group's awful. I think I'm going to leave. Rather than what an opportunity to actually... Do what Jesus taught. Model and, the one another's of the body. And grow in and, love. And grow. Yes, that's right. and because, yes. But I, they don't feel like that. My experience is some of the worst times of community where it really feels more like discipline than joy are actually the times when God's doing the deepest work yeah, in yeah. moving me off of my narcissistic ego toward yeah. becoming a person of love. Yeah, Yeah. I was just in a, a mediation like uh, meeting a couple few weeks ago and between two people in our church that were going through conflict. And I looked at both of them in the eyes and with complete sincerity said, uh, I love conflict because it's an opportunity to grow. Yeah. Like you can grow here. Wow. Um, and then I went through conflict the next week and it was like, this doesn't feel like growth. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was your life. It was my life. <laughs> I t- um, an opportunity for both of you to grow, for you yeah. to grow and for the church to grow. Totally. You know, when I get criticized, most of the time there's a, at least a part of it that is very legitimate and it's hurtful oh. and it's painful but yep. it's an opportunity for me to grow absolutely I, i've been telling people lately because you know in covid people feel like church isn't even real anywhere i'm just going to go wherever i want i've been telling people you don't need you don't need community to have faith you can have faith with you and god yeah and you don't you don't need community to care about the poor but you need community to love yeah like you have to have people around you Otherwise, you're not confronted with the need to go beyond yourself. And I, and so, I, I think you needed to grow. Yeah. yeah, you got you got to you have to be around other people to make you a person of love. Yeah, and without that, it's just individual snippets and yeah. ideas and concepts and whatever. Yeah. I find that when I'm alone, I am an incredibly godly person. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a silence and solitude day and I'm just God. You love yeah. what you find I'm just, in there. I'm loving yeah. and at peace. And then I come home and I'm a parent and then somebody's mad at me and then I go to community and somebody's late and da 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 da. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm not, not all that God. Exactly. Okay. So final thoughts on how to leave a church. And again, this is from a 
pastor's perspective. This is not yeah, from we're yeah. biased. So yeah, we're <laughs> completely biased, and we're just. I'm, I really want to be kind of honest, thing. open conversation yeah. between pastors of how people in our in our churches leave and leave well. So of course it is biased, and it's a perspective. Um, but okay, so final thoughts on how to leave, how to leave well. JM, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, I just think you gotta do the work. To you, you've gotta actively not just resist, but go to war with any bitterness, acrimony, jealousy, hate, unforgiveness in your heart for your own sake, because that will poison not your, that will not just hurt the people you're leaving. That will poison your own body yeah. and soul. So you, you have to, however you do that, if you you know put the picture or the name of every person who's hurt you before you and you take communion and you pray God's blessing over them, you know, whatever you need to do, you need to get your heart clean and free of that. Second thing I'd say is as much as possible, thank and honor, you know, like even you being grateful and honoring a leader in a church that you're leaving is not mutually exclusive with being hurt and having strong disagreements with Mm -hmm. them. That's you know, right. if you can find a way to say, for these three reasons, I'm leaving. I've made this decision in community. I've been slow about it. I've been thinking about it for a year or two years or three. And I've done my best to resolve conflict. And we haven't been able to. And maybe I've even been sent or at least released, you know. And if you can say, you know what, I have these issues. These are the things I don't like. These that were enough for me to leave. But here are things that God did in my life through this community, through this pastor, this team. And... And how can I thank them and honor them? Yeah. You know, because it's a, I think people think, you know, this is the weirdest thing. Like I get almost no uh, encouragement from my church. I get mostly, I mostly only hear from them when I've done something to make them mad. It's very true. And that's not like a self-pity thing. That's part of the job. That's yeah. being pastor in a city in 2020. But um, I think part of it is I think people assume because we're up on stage that everybody like likes us. Yeah. <laughs> they don't. Yeah. Yes. You know what I mean? And like everybody must just be gushing and fawning and like, uh, no. We want to keep you humble. We don't want to over-encourage you in case you get proud. Yeah. yeah it's like tall poppy thing. And I'm like, I think maybe you, you're, what you think my experience is is very different than what my experience is. Yeah. Again, no self-pity though. That's part, that's the parental job. Yeah. Teenagers don't, oh, that's, maybe that's a condescending metaphor, but you know, there's a family metaphor, and to some extent, the elders are the mothers and the fathers of the church. You know, and parents don't go, kids don't go around like, Mom and Dad, you just, you know, yeah. <laughs> they, especially as they're leaving the house at that age, as they're becoming adults and leaving, you know. But to whatever degree you can keep peace, gratitude, and honor in your heart, and whether that's a letter of thank you, a letter of blessing. I've had some of the, the dearest moments in my entire pastoral life have when people left our church for good reasons and wrote me a letter of thank you and blessing. Yeah. I keep those letters for years. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's so good. Thank you. I don't have much to add. The only other thing I would say is like communicate your decision. Yeah. The most painful leaves I experience are like, where did they go? They're like, yeah. oh yeah, they left three months ago. Or you, like, go, you go to speak at another church in town and they're in the second row. Yeah. And you're like, wait a minute. I, I thought you were. I, thought you were. <laughs> I, f- I personally find that hard. Yeah. Because I work hard to have an overview and awareness. Yes. And one of the things people say is like, oh, gosh, you got a good memory. And I'm like, well, we talked about that two years ago. Of course I remember. You're a part of the community. And they're like, wow, yeah. that's like, 
I, I work hard to have an awareness of what's happening in the life of our church, even though our church is large, large-ish. And uh, when someone's just like, yeah, man, they bailed, I'm like, oh, I'm just like, oh, really? Yeah. Not even like an acknowledgement. I'd rather you fight with me than just ghost me. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? So I said the only thing I would say is like, even if it's, I, I would prefer communication that is negative than no communication at all. Hmm. Yeah. Closure. Yeah. I would say, that's good. I would say it's hard to leave a church and it should be hard. Yeah. Not emotionally, simply emotionally hard, but the logistics of leaving a church yeah, should be hard. The relational webbing. Yes. So I'd say if it's thing. not hard, make it hard. Like yeah. do the work. Ooh. So you're saying like if it's easy for you to leave your church, you probably were not a good member of it. Yeah. And you're not leaving well. It yeah. should be emotionally hard and logistically hard. Uh, it would be yes. like you leaving uh, your house to go to college or family. It needs to be hard, you know. And so, if you're leaving a church right now or, or in the part of or in the process of it, um, and it, if it's more, if it's all emotional for you, like it's just emotionally hard, uh, make it logistically hard. Have the meetings, make the time, um, process it with your community. Open your hands to go. Maybe not. Maybe I don't get what I want here. Are you okay with not getting what you want? Because most people are just trying to find a way to get what they want. Right. I want to leave. I want to go to this other church. I want this thing. It's going to be better over there in this city, in this other I church. I want to be somewhere where everybody agrees with me. Yes. I want to be. And like, could you open your hands to say, I might not get what I want? Yeah. That'll prepare you for every area of life. Yes. It's called maturity. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. exactly right. Yeah. So. Mm, well said. Well, thank you all for listening. I hope this was helpful. Um, in part or in whole. And again, this is just perspective of three pastors who are pastoring in transient cities. Um, Peace be with you all. Thank you so much, uh, John and John Mark. No worries, mate. Peace. Peace out.